This episode of Truth's Table is brought to you by Penguin Young Readers, publishers of children's books for all readers. Our mission is to ignite a universal passion for reading by creating books for everyone. Visit penguinrandomhouse.com. Welcome to Truth's Table, Midwives of Culture for Grace and Truth. I'm McKemini. And I'm Christina. This table is built by Black women and for Black women. So welcome to the table, C. How you doing, girl? You know, we were just talking about how it's a Monday up in here. Doesn't <laughs> it feel like a Monday? <laughs> it is. It's the Monday. It's of all Mondays. But I said they're going to hear this on a Saturday. So they're going to be. <laughs> they are. But we recorded this on a Monday for y'all. So listen, that's love. (laughs) It's been a wild day. How has your day been going? Oh, you know, it's been a busy one. It's been a busy one. But, you know, it's been it's been good, you know, kind of productive, trying to get things going. You know, summer's winding down. Oh, when we hit August, August, we do have uh, we do have like summer regret. Like every year we lament like we need the sun. We need the summer. (laughs) God exactly. Give us the so exactly. for sure, but I think we're in for a really interesting conversation, even on a Monday. Oh, <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. You know why? Because uh, we are in our we gonna learn today series. We ain't forgot, <laughs> y'all. We ain't forgot. <laughs> <laughs> they like when they gonna hit us with another episode? <laughs> right now, it's happening now. Right now, and so I'm really um, excited to learn about the subject that we have on the table, and we are talking about Black adoption. That is a subject on the table, y'all. So uh, get ready to learn. Get out your notebooks. Get out your oh iPhone um, um, note app or your Android <laughs> note app. I don't know what that y'all got going on with the Androids, but I know y'all got some notes. <laughs> 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 I was just saying, I don't know. I'm sorry. Okay. <laughs> Hey, y'all, we are, you know what? This episode is also special because Choose Table is combining forces with the hosts of Black to the Beginning. Listen. Okay, we have Dr. Hello. Samantha Cole. up in here. Listen, <laughs> get it together. Get it together. We have... <laughs> We have Dr. Samantha Coleman at the table with us and Sandria Washington, the host of Black to the Beginning. Hey, sisters, how y'all doing? Hello, sisters. Yes, we're doing amazing. What it do? Hey, we about to find out what to do, boo. Listen, we're excited to be pulled up to the table. We have our chairs. We are ready. Red, yes, y'all red. You got the red lippies on. We got the fly glasses. Come on, <laughs> <laughs> it's got to go. Let's get into it. it. You, you got to, you got to do the Patreon. You got to, you got to see. You got to get the visual. Yes, <laughs> you know? get, get into you the red lip. Yes, you got to see it. You, you got to support black women. Black you got, got on right here. She's not playing games. Just in case, just in case y'all don't know who Dr. Sam and Sandria are, and if, just in case you don't know what Black to the Beginning is, why 
want to tell y'all a little something about this here podcast and these sisters. Uh, friends, Dr. Samantha Coleman and Sandria Washington, both discovered as adults they were adopted. Each quickly learned that Black adoption is common, but taboo to speak about in private or publicly. The voices of Black adoptees, especially those adopted by Black families, are rarely heard. If every birth has a story, why is no one telling ours? In 2019, Dr. Sam and Sandria partnered to create Black to the Beginning, a multi-platform initiative to amplify the Black adoption conversation. Dr. Coleman is currently the Director of Student Experience and Academic Advising at Alder University. She is a course designer and instructor for the University of Chicago, teaching conscious leadership and team management. Sandria M. Washington is a proud Chicago-born Southside raised writer, wellnesspreneur, and speaker as the owner and chief exploration officer of she Field Trips, LLC. Yes, bring back field trips. How about for adults? Come on now. Sandra empowers women to utilize the power of self-discovery and play in their healing journeys through workshop, unique curated events, online community, and inspiring offline tools and products through their multimedia platforms, which in- recently includes the launch of Black to the Beginning, the Black Adoption Podcast, Dr. Sam and Sandria place hashtag Black and Adoptive Voices and hashtag the Black Family at the center of the conversation. Their work has been featured on Fox Soul Book of Sean and Windy City Live, and as featured speakers during the 2020 Yes We Adopt Black Voices Amplified Summit. So follow them across platforms at Black to the Beginning. Welcome to the table, sisters. We are glad to have you. We are glad to have you and to learn from you. It's so weird here in our bio. I'm like, oh, we did some stuff. We we doing it. While you yet live, yes, thank you. I smell it from here. That's it. Y'all have done a lot. I mean, especially within your first year of launching. I mean, I'm a mix, and so uh, that's why I was like, we gotta learn. We gotta learn from our sisters today. So I would, if you don't mind talking to our sisters at the table, can you all share your adoption? Journeys. I say journey, right? Because it's not ended. It's still continuing. Can you talk to us about your journeys? It's still going. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. Still going, but we we tend to start with um, my adoption story only because sure. of when it began. So yeah, I found out that I was adopted in two thousand six. And so basically my mother decided, you know, to take me to Fridays over my sizzling chicken and cheese. I don't know if you guys are Fridays people, but (laughs) decided that she would take me and drop this bomb on me um, at 26 years of age. And um, I remember at that point being completely devastated, but not surprised um, Mm -hmm. by that information just based on how like, as an adoptee, you go through life kind of feeling different, but not quite being able to, you know, put your finger on it. Essentially had this information um, really for for quite some time. The only person that I had actually told it to was my husband um, at the time. And so I I had this and I would, you know, put it in my back pocket and I would bring it out, you know, ever so often. Um, It was about 2010, where in Illinois legislation had changed where they were going to allow for adoptees to have access to their birth records. Uh, But at that point in time, it was a bit of a process because you had to, you know, go through writing for it. Your birth parents had to, you know, agree whether or not 
they, you know, if you could have access to the information, so it's like a back and forth process. So it took me close to two years before I actually got my birth certificate. And so that was in um, about 2012 at that point, which I found out. Um, even then, really didn't share it, you know, with anybody. And so it wasn't until 2016, while I was in the midst of a search and reunion process with um, my biological parents and my siblings that I began to tell my friend group, you know, essentially that I was adopted and that this was the process that I was going through. Um, Sandra and I have been friends for over 15 years. She never knew that I was adopted. And so I began to tell different friends at different times. And I remember distinctly telling Sandra on the night that she actually um, had won a award, okay, for being the dope individual that she is. <laughs> but I told her, you know, on that particular, you know, night. And so as I went through this process of telling my girlfriends, um, that began more of my opportunity to, in my own way, publicly, you know, speak about it, not to the point of where we're at today, um, yeah. but publicly, you know, speaking about it and sharing it with folks that were outside of my husband. And so that right there cracked the door for, <laughs> you know, what happened with Sandria a few years later. So yeah. Enter Sandy. Yes. Enter, <laughs> enter Sandy. Right. So, you know, as Samantha mentioned, we had been friends for, for over a decade and neither of us, you know, knew for most of our lives that we were adopted. Um, I had absolutely no clue Grew up with an older brother. Um, he's 10 years older than me. We were primarily raised by our mother uh, because our parents split um, somewhere around the time I was like six or seven. So mm-hmm. my mom raised me and my brother. Um, my mother comes from a fairly large family. She was the oldest of 14 children. So I have a gang of cousins and wow. aunts and uncles and just all these people. Um and so had a fairly, you know, normal childhood, never really thought, you know, too much uh, awry. Uh, but as Samantha mentioned, you know, you always kind of feel like something is is different. Something is off. And so for me, I struggled um, a lot with just um, emotional issues, a little bit of depression in my mm-hmm. early 20s and just all these different things that I could never really put a finger on, right? So I remember the night that Samantha shared with me that she was adopted. And I remember just thinking like, oh my God, this is, this is crazy. You found out when you were 26 and you know, you didn't know what did that feel like? Like it was the most unbelievable thing that I had ever heard because I didn't really know a lot of other adoptees. I couldn't really maybe one or two people in my friend circle. But at that time, I really didn't have an awareness. And so it really sounded crazy until (laughs) two years later, when I had a cousin slide into my Instagram DMs. So I didn't even get the chili, you know, the Friday sizzling skillet. I didn't even get a meal. (laughs) Just straight to the DMs. And my older cousin shared with me, Um, basically just saying, 
I don't know if you know or not, but I wanted to let you know that you're adopted so that you have an opportunity to live your truth and be happy. So that was kind of it. There wasn't any other context there. There wasn't any other information. It was just like, here's the information. Here you go. And so similar to Samantha, I kind of sat on it a little bit. I don't even think I told Mm -hmm. anyone at the time. Um, I think I was just in shock trying to figure out if there was some truth to it, because I literally had not heard a whisper. Nobody had ever teased me. I hadn't seen any paperwork. And so I was just really stuck. Like, okay, is she just saying this because, you know, maybe she has some animosity towards me that I don't know about or towards my mother, you know, like, where's this coming from? So I sat on it for about three or four months And then I had a conversation with a couple of girlfriends um, the earlier part of 2018. And we were talking about adoption because both of them were married, but neither of them had children. And so Mm -hmm. myself, I didn't have children. I was single. And so we just got on this conversation about, oh, would you adopt? What do you think about that? And so that was like a perfect opportunity to let them know about this message that I got from my cousin. And so when I told them the story, my friend Morgan was just like, Sandy, you have to find out if this is true or not, because your cousin has already put this information out there. You know, she's already planted this seed. So you need to find out if it's if it's true or not. And then if it's true, you can decide, you know, how you want to pursue that. And then if it's not true, then you can decide how you want to deal with your lying cousin, you know, like what what you want to do. Either way, (laughs) you need to find out. And Mm -hmm. so when she put it to me that way, I was like, you know what, let me investigate this. And so maybe about a week or so after that, I reached out to one of my aunts and we had a, you know, fairly normal conversation. And then I just kind of went into it. Like I I found some information. Is it true? Am I adopted? And she said it was true. And so from that moment, that just took me down the rabbit hole of trying to find answers. Um, Because both of my parents who raised me, they were already deceased. So I couldn't go back to them. Um, After I got off the phone with my aunt, I called my brother and, you know, he didn't really have a lot of details. So really, it just became me being driven by trying to put the pieces of my own story together. And so, you know, a little bit different from Sam's story, by the time I found out in 2018, the laws were already changed in Illinois. So my process was really, really quick. I received my original birth certificate in about two, two and a half weeks. So information was just coming back quickly. I was able to get my birth mother's name and um, reconnect with the biological sister. And like everything was just snowball fast, rapid fast. And I just feel like I don't know, like God was just being very, very kind because I think it would have driven me crazy (laughs) if I could not have found answers immediately. Um, And so once I, you know, found my story, Sam Mm. and I were able to kind of reconnect around that piece of it. And in 2019, we just came together like, what can we do? You know, we're both in this situation Uh, as late discovery adoptees. So finding out later in life. Mm -hmm. And there's not a lot of information about Black adoption. Typically, anything that you see 
uh, with regards to Black children is usually Black babies adopted into non-Black families. And so you really don't hear anything about Black children adopted into Black families or about Black adopted adults. And so we didn't know what we were going to do. We just knew we had to do something. And so it eventually evolved into creating this platform and, and creating the podcast. Wow. Yeah. I'm going to tell you right now, um, I got so many questions. Yeah. <laughs> so many, so many feelings that mm. I'm really trying to just take a moment and just sparse them out because that's an incredible story, journey, shock, trauma, surprise. And my goodness, let me tell you, aunties and cousins, they got all, they know, they know too much sometimes. Mm -hmm. Um, It's just a lot going on there. But I wanted to go back to something that you said, Dr. Sam, when you begin to tell your story, which is that, you know, similarly, you, that you both kind of had this feeling, this kind of, I don't know if you want to call it intuition, Mm -hmm. a longing or whatever it was. Can you describe for us what was kind of tapping you on the shoulder as you were developing to just give us some insights about uh, what that was like for you that, that kind of maybe clued you in on some emotional uh, level that you may be adopted? Sure. So I think in most situations with children and their parents, you expect to see a mirror image. So I think the first thing that comes to mind for anybody is like, can I look into the face of a parent and see myself? You can easily be like, well, you know, I don't look like my mother, but I look like my father. Or, well, I don't look like them, but I look like a grandmother, whatever the case may be. So I think from a physicality standpoint, that was always kind of like the first indicator. Um, I think as time went on, you began to tell yourself that you do look like one of these individuals. In fact, I remember like saying to myself, well, I don't really look like my father. We have a similar skin tone Mm -hmm. and we have a similar personality. So for me, it was like, that's how I connected. When when you look at my mother, there's nothing. All period that would suggest that I came from her. Mm-hmm. Additionally, too, with kids, you get curious about your birth story. So, you know, kids go to school, they hear about the, the stork and the mommy having the baby and all that. There was never a birth story, you know, for me. So I really feel like mm-hmm. in some way there was an avoidance of having, mm-hmm. you know, the conversation. So my mother was never able to have like this, well, yeah, like you were in my tummy and this, that, and the other. Like she never, you know, had any sort of conversation around that. And then on top of that, just, I think the manner by which I carried myself or like my interest or what have you just didn't feel aligned mm-hmm. to anyone, mm-hmm. you know, in the family. And it's a weird sensation because it's not like it's in the back of your head. Oh, I'm adopted, right? Like that's not what immediately comes to the surface. Rather, it is, why am I so different? Why do I feel disconnected? I can't put my finger on why, but I know that it's there. Hmm. Continuously trying to figure out how to connect yourself and you really never come to that full on like, yes, this is it. But when I was told that I wasn't, I'm like, bingo, mm-hmm. that's it. It's the missing puzzle piece. Wow. Mm-hmm. Wow. 
And Sandria, would you, how we, well, you said in your case, you were like, maybe, did you have a little bit of that knowing that you felt special, different, or, cause you said you felt like it was a normal childhood and it almost, is, it seemed like things, not, not that yours wasn't Dr. Sam, but it seemed like for you, it was like, wait, what? Almost like you got hit upside the head with it. Um, as Dr. Sam yeah. did too, but she, there seemed to be more of like, some things are missing or a little off. Is that the same for you as as well or similar? I think it was similar. I think for me, I I could never really place like why I didn't feel like I fit in. And there were always different things that I attributed it to. So mm-hmm. like I'm about five, ten and a half, and my mom is five two. Um, you know, my brother, mm-hmm. when I looked at his baby pictures. He looks like the spitting image of our dad um, and me, not not so much. Um, but when I looked at my parents, when I looked at my brother, I never I never had a thought that like, oh, these these people aren't my parents. I don't belong. But I think it was more so like an e- emotional thing, just uh, not quite feeling settled Um And even with the work that I eventually found myself doing now, just this whole idea of self-discovery, like I was so focused on my own self-discovery growing up. Um, So I was like, Erica Badu, you know, tried a little yoga for a minute, got a good book, got all up in it, like all these different things that you try to do, Mm -hmm. you know, Mm -hmm. to really discover yourself. And all that time, I had no clue what I was even looking for. Like I had, I knew I was looking for something, but I had no clue. Like you feel this way possibly because you are adopted. Like there is a missing piece to your story. You know, you, you feel that way because it is that way, but never had an idea that that could be it until I had that conversation with my aunt and she confirmed it. And I remember one of the first feelings that I had, it wasn't sadness. It wasn't initially at that point, it wasn't anger that that came later. Um, Mm -hmm. But in that moment, when we had the conversation, I felt validated. I felt like I'm not crazy because that's how I felt for a lot of years when you're always trying to search for something and you can't figure out, well, why am I sad all the time or why does this feel off? Why don't I? Mm feel like I belong in a room full of people who I know love me and they're my friends, but I still feel like I'm a little bit of the outsider. So for me, when she confirmed it, it was like, this makes so much Mm -hmm. sense. I'm not the crazy one. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, And so just being able to have that that validation, um, it just puts so many pieces together. It just made everything else make sense. Um, until things, you know, as you keep going down the rabbit hole and you're like, yeah, none, none of this makes sense. <laughs> like, how did we get here? You know, cause I was 38 when I found out. So, you know, I lived most of my adult life not knowing. And so it's like, yes, everything makes sense, but now nothing makes sense. Right. Wow. My goodness. Y'all. Okay. Let's take a quick commercial break because <laughs> we got more questions. You all raised so many different um, emotions and points that I'm like, can you talk about that a little bit more? So 
We will talk about those things when we come back from this commercial break. Y'all don't go nowhere. Keep it locked. Hey y'all, as the school year is beginning for many of our children, Truth Table is happy to present to you this book from Penguin Random House, The Day You Begin by Jacqueline Woodson. It's a number one New York Times bestseller. National Book Award winner Jacqueline Woodson has written a poignant yet heartening book about finding courage to connect even when you feel scared and alone. There are many reasons to feel different. Maybe it's how you look or talk or where you're from. Maybe it's what you eat or something random. It's not easy to take those first steps into a place where nobody really knows you yet, but somehow you do it. Jacqueline Woodson's lyrical text and Rafael Lopez's dazzling art reminds us that we all feel like outsiders sometimes and how brave it is that we go forth anyway. And that sometimes when we reach out and begin to share our stories, others will be happy to meet us halfway. The day you begin is perfect for back to school or any moment when a child is walking into a new experience. Purchase the day you begin wherever books are sold. All right, and we are back at the table, y'all, with uh, Dr. Samantha Coleman and Sandria <laughs> Washington from Black to the Beginning. My goodness, y'all have been so generous with your journeys um, and with your stories. And um, I just want to honor y'all for sharing um, your stories. I mean, we, me and C are like blown away. Like what? On the inside, we're like, oh my goodness. Like, <laughs> yeah. wow. Yeah. You know, like yeah. seriously, why we're taking it back. Um, mm. And, you know, and Sandra, you talked about, you know, uh, you know, later on, you know, I felt some anger, you know, and I mm-hmm. would imagine Dr. Sam, you felt some emotions too. And I would love for y'all, if you feel comfortable um, sharing, what, how did this hit you beyond the shock? What were some of the emotions that you felt? How did you wrestle with it? How mm-hmm. um, have you have you come to terms with the yeah. fact that mm. you're just, just, just the trajectory of your emotional oh, journey? Because yes. I imagine it shifted from year to year, day to day. Look, day to day, <laughs> from yesterday to today. <laughs> listen, listen, tell us. I was going to say, like, mm-hmm. um, when I think about it, this isn't even like an emotion word, right? But I felt like there was a a vacancy, if that makes sense. Mm. Going through like a ton of different emotions, but feeling almost empty. And it's interesting, like I was talking with Sandria recently about just kind of like this healing journey and going to see a therapist and mm-hmm touching on all these different things and whether or not I had actually dealt with all of this stuff. And I can honestly say to like anyone listening, the answer is no. So mm-hmm. like if you're tuning in to Black to the Beginning, thinking that we are just like fully healed people, don't get it twisted. Like the journey continues. It is still um, mm-hmm. an ongoing thing. And I think I don't always think about the emotions of finding out this information. I think a lot about the repercussions and how they've manifested themselves and and who I am as an individual. So part of me just um, individually, I'm a very driven person, I'm a very ambitious person. But at the same time, there's a lot of conversation around like adoptees being perfectionists and Mm. engaged 
engaging in like in certain behaviors that suggest that they don't feel good enough and not even tapping into like, is that what I'm doing? Is that truly how I, you know, mm-hmm. feel self? Mm-hmm. Right. And I think that for me has been bigger than any emotion, right? Because I can pinpoint like, yeah, I was sad. Yeah, I was angry. Like I'm very good at, you know, pinpointing an emotion. But I think like peeling away, like, why do you feel that emotion and how has it manifested itself within your life is a totally different mm. of wax yeah. and getting to like emotions are just like that's that's surface scratching for me mm-hmm. at least. Mm-hmm. Um so for me I'm just really trying to peel away what those emotions even mean and how do you get to a place of ceasing behaviors that no longer serve you well or no longer serve your relationships right. well either. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That is so helpful. Um, You know, Sandria, I was thinking about, because you mentioned that both of your adoptive parents have passed away Mm -hmm. and had passed away when you learned this information, right? Right. Uh, Through your cousin. And I was just reflecting on uh, on just the unanswered questions, right? Or just the, and I, because I'm not you and I got questions. And I'm I'm like, I bet she got questions. (laughs) And I I was just curious about your process of resolving that. We've talked on on the show a lot about uh, about complicated grief, about Mm. the ways in which it's it's always painful to lose someone that that we love and that that we care about. But it's an added layer when there's like unresolved business. Mm -hmm. And you, you got a bucket of unresolved business Mm -hmm. given to you. And I'm just curious about what, what questions still linger in your mind and how have you been processing through those questions that on, that on this side of glory, as we would say right here, you you may not get answers to those things. Mm -hmm. It's so, and that's a great question. I'm so glad you asked that. So when my mom passed in 2011, you know, we had a fairly good relationship. We were never super, super close, but I knew that I was loved. You know, I, I was her, her Sandy. She was always so super mm-hmm. proud of me. Um, and so when she passed, I started having these really like rageful, violent nightmares about her, like to the point mm-hmm. where it scared me because I couldn't understand why was I having these dreams about my mama? And I'm so angry in these dreams because I don't remember being that angry when she was alive. And so I could Mm. never really make sense of it. You know, I would have these dreams periodically over the years. And so when the information about the adoption came up, I was like, oh, I wonder if that was it, like, was she coming to me in my dreams, trying to explain, trying to share? And I just wasn't trying to hear it in the dream. You know, I I haven't quite figured out, you know, if that's what it is, but that was my first thought. And so my initial emotion was anger and I'm still working through the anger. Um, (laughs) I think with black to the beginning, I'm learning how to take that anger and use it as passion because I think Mm -hmm. those can be kind of similar. So it's Mm -hmm. like, okay, instead of me building this root of bitterness, like really use that as passion. Like I'm impassioned about this topic. I'm impassioned about 
people being transparent and parents being transparent with their children. Like I'm passionate about that. So really I'm learning how to flip that anger, but I'm still angry. Um, you know, I I was angry because I didn't know. I felt like this was something that everybody knew, Hmm. you know, because by the time I came into the picture, my brother was nine going on 10. So he was old enough to remember Um, aunts and uncles who never saw my mother pregnant. They, you know, like everybody knew. And so I just felt like I'm the last one to know. Mm -hmm. And so I was angry about that. I was angry because nobody had any information or details. My aunt couldn't tell me anything. My brother couldn't tell me anything. Um, So I was angry that I had, you know, gotten this special delivery bomb. But now, now that it's detonated, you know, who, who's helping to pick up the pieces? Like there is just like, you're, you're left Mm -hmm. to deal with it. So I was angry Mm -hmm. about that. Mm -hmm. I was angry, you know, going online and trying to find resources and people to connect with people who can understand. And I couldn't find anybody because Mm -hmm. you only saw stories about, white parents who adopt black children. And so all these things made me angry. And so finally figuring out like, okay, don't just sit in the anger. How do I, how do I change this? Not only for myself, but how do we change this on a collective level? Because I know it's not just me that's angry. You know, Samantha doesn't like the fact that, you know, there's not a lot of resources for, for black adoptees and black adoption. There's other black adoptees out there who are also upset that there's not enough resources. So just using that energy in a more productive way. Um, but the anger is still there, but learning how to, to use it, uh, productive and, and I think Mm -hmm. remember I have a tattoo on my arm that says nothing puzzles God. And so I just tried to, you know, go back to that and look at all of the divine things that happened. So the timing of Samantha finding out and the timing of her sharing it with me and the timing of me finding out and, you know, just how all the things still kind of aligned for us. And so there's definitely some some good that's that's come out of this. You know, everything happened the way that it was supposed to. Yeah. Wow. Wow. That's so powerful. And just hearing, and I would even say it's righteous anger, Sandra, Mm. that you're actually experiencing. It's righteous anger. Um, Sometimes our anger is oftentimes not righteous, but it is. Right. (laughs) 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 For the record. Oftentimes our anger is not not righteous. But in this case, it really is righteous righteous anger. anger. Yeah. There wasn't a... um, you know, just the withholding, right? Mm-hmm. You know, um, it's almost like a lie by omission. Like, how come nobody mm-hmm. let me know? You know, um, until you find out at thirty-eight. My goodness, you know, and now your parent, you don't, you can't get all of the answers on this, yes. Side, right? Yes. Um, but I love how you're able to just see God's providential hand in all of it. That, in and of itself, is a grace. You know, yeah. right, right there. You know, um, so I just, I think that's just powerful. I'm, I'm just grateful that you um, shared that with us. I'm curious if, um, you know, you all are talking about and have mentioned the um, the lack anger at the lack of resources. 
That also mm-hmm. is righteous anger too. That there's lack of resources, yeah. there's lack of um, knowledge and information about black adoptions and black adoptees, right? Um, and I'm wondering if we can, if y'all can bust a myth at the table here. Um, black people don't adopt. Can y'all bust that myth, right? And Look, talk yes. about the ways that we adopt um, and what it looks like in our community. Um, yeah, can you? Yeah, can y'all just tackle that myth? Please bust that myth at this here table for us. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, at Black to the Beginning, we like to say that it's not just about the Black adoption conversation; it's about the Black family conversation. Mm-hmm. And so I would say to anyone who is pulled up at the table, mm-hmm. listening to this podcast, that your family has been touched by adoption in some way. Mm-hmm. Um, the fact of the matter is that from a historical perspective, Black folks have been um, adopting and taking care of each other since we stepped off mm-hmm. the boat. Before. It's even just before. been, mm-hmm. and, before, and yeah. even before then, mm-hmm. it's what we've had to do. So mm-hmm. when we like to utilize that, you know, proverb, it takes a village, right? No, it, it absolutely does, right? And so our grandparents have been, you know, adopting or taking care of their children's children. Mm-hmm. You know, your uh, next door neighbor, your play mama, your play cousin, these individuals have been stepping in to take care of children when, you know, parents have either passed away or they've had some sort of circumstance where they weren't able to take care of the child. So in fact, when Black folk like to say that they don't adopt or that we don't adopt, sure we have informally forever. And I think the the hurtful thing behind it, and Sandy, tell me, you know, what you think about this. I think that because adoption has such a negative connotation, that's why nobody wants to say that it happens because adoption suggests no one wanted you or no one was able to take care of you. Mm-hmm. Who, who, you know, if if you had to be put out there for adoption, right? Then something is wrong with you. Mm-hmm. And so nobody wants to kind of like sit in that possibility because that isn't always the case, right? But nobody wants to sit in that possibility. So I'd rather just say like, oh, it's only white people that adopt or it is mm-hmm. oh, middle-class black folks. They they adopt. Mm-hmm. No, it's your grandmama, your auntie or whomever that brought you into the family because unfortunately, maybe your mother or father could not. And that's okay. But anybody that's not raised by their mama and their daddy, mm. you adopted. Mm. Mm. Take it for what it's worth. Mm. And there's nothing wrong with that. Mm. Let's just talk about that and the emotions and the feelings that come along with it. But that's yeah. what it is. Mm-hmm. That's good. And I'll even share, I think, a good example of that. We just uh, released the podcast episode with a young woman who was raised by her grandmother, but she didn't know her grandmother as her grandmother. She thought that that was her birth mom. And meanwhile, her birth mother was just a woman who came around and she just called this woman by her first name. She called her Tasha. Come to find out, Tasha was actually her birth mom and the woman who was raising her was her grandmother. And so when we talk about informal adoption in Black families, I think where it gets complicated is that 
not only do we not call it adoption, but sometimes we don't even call it anything. Like it's that it's that true. omission that that you talked about earlier, mm-hmm. a lie of omission. Mm-hmm. It's like you have a child that's being raised in a situation where they're seeing their mother and they're spending time with their mother and they don't even know that that is their mother oh, or that yeah. that is their or that their favorite aunt is their mother. And so I think, you know, that's just where mm-hmm. it gets really complicated. Mm-hmm. And then also in that on that piece of just the the stigma around it. So like when Samantha mentioned earlier, you know, she's a similar skin tone to her father, mm-hmm. something that they often used to do was something called matching. So you would be able to look at photos of children that, you know, were available for adoption if you're going through an agency and you could select a child that essentially looks like they match your family. And mm-hmm. so when mm-hmm. you're a black child adopted into a black family, that makes it a little bit easier. You feel like you have a choice whether or not you can tell the child or not that they're adopted. So if you're if you're doing matching and you're finding a child that really just blends in to this family, I think there's a number of families that chose not to tell their child. And maybe it's not so much common today. You know, now they have open adoptions where there's open communication between Mm -hmm. adoptive Mm -hmm. parents and the biological parents. But even then, it's not always fully open. And so I think it the, the adoption conversation is special when it comes to us, because there is that possibility where, you know, you don't know somebody's adopted unless they disclose to you. Whereas if you're a transracial adoptee, a black child adopted by a parent of another race, it's obvious that those are not your biological parents. And so I think, you know, in the black Mm -hmm. community, it's just become a way, like it's easier to sweep it under the rug because, Mm -hmm. oh yeah, that child looks like so-and-so or, you know, they're, they're in the family. That's, that's so-and-so's baby girl. But when you don't talk about it, that's, that's where it gets complicated. And that's where the hurt and the anger, and then all these issues that a lot of adoptees struggle with when it comes to self-worth and identity, that's where all these things start to come into play. Wow. And even if the parents chose to miss, even if they chose maybe not to do a complete match right on Mm -hmm. skin tone we come out all kinds of different colors right right (laughs) in our families right i mean so wow yeah so it can still get swept under the rug even if yeah you know Mm -hmm. so even listening to this story i'm thinking about the temptation of parents who they don't they don't know they don't know the research right all they know is kind of the cultural stigma all they know is the way they deal with maybe other family secrets Mm -hmm. to cover up and protect and maybe this goal of just kind of riding things out. I'm thinking about multiple examples are coming to mind right now of people I know who um, uh, were informal kinship care adoption is it really the narrative or, um, you know, have have a have a parent who's biological, one who's not biological mm-hmm. and never knew that the other parent was not the biological mm-hmm. parent. I mean, until mm-hmm. like good and, until, until an uncle or cousin or yep. auntie mentions it, like at a family reunion mm-hmm. or something. Um, you know, yeah. assuming that people know. And I, my guess is that you both have opinions on um, how this could be done, 
you know, you know how it was done, what your experience is. Could you use some of our remaining time together mm-hmm. to dream for us based on your experiences, the the, the good, the bad, the difficult, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. imagining a beautiful black baby girl born right now mm-hmm. with a mom who is making the choice of giving her up because of her, her inabilities to move forward. Dream for a world, uh, dream, dream up a world for us, for that little black girl um, that's adopted into a family who uh, walks away at 38 or 26 with a very different experience that you had. What would mm-hmm. that look like? Mm-hmm. Mm. I know that's that's deep because it's it's one of those questions and people ask us all the time. Do you wish you had known younger, sooner? And for me, I say yes. Mm-hmm. Um, I do wish I had known as a child. Um, and it's funny the other day I was thinking about how I was listening to someone's interview and they mentioned, um, they were, they were an adoptee, a black adoptee, and they called themselves a cabbage patch kid. Um, and so it got me thinking about cabbage patch kid dolls. And I had one when I was a little girl and I distinctly remember one of the things that I thought was so interesting about it was like, my doll had papers, you know, and I got to see, you know, the doll's name. Like I understood on some level what it meant to have, you know, I'm the mommy to this baby doll who's adopted. Right. And so I think about Could that like what if that had been a a teaching moment? Like what if, Mm -hmm. you know, my mom and dad had bought me that cabbage patch uh, for Christmas, you know, Christmas of 84, 85 Mm -hmm. and use that as an opportunity Mm -hmm. to start talking about like, oh, your baby doll is adopted and we adopted you. Like, I just wonder what that could have been like. Because even at that age, like I had an understanding. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I and I think when children are that young, you can start to explain it in an age appropriate way. So maybe it's through a doll, maybe it's through a book. Um, And so if I had to dream of a world, I would just dream of a world where little black girls, little black boys feel protected and they feel safe and they feel like the people who are around around them who love them most are honest mm-hmm. you know they don't have to question that they don't have to second guess that um they don't have to wonder um yeah. and that's what I would want I would just want parents whatever the situation is so if it's a formal agency adoption if it's an informal kinship and, you know, a niece is, is raised by, by mm-hmm. an aunt or an uncle just to have those honest conversations because the truth will come out eventually, especially being in 2021 with DNA testing. In 1980, they weren't thinking about <laughs> DNA testing. They weren't mm-hmm. thinking about what would happen in 2010 when the laws change. And so we're in a place right now where even if it seems like you can keep something secret, you really cannot. And you don't want to put a child in a position to feel 
ambushed or to feel lied to. I think just creating safety, safety and making decisions out of love and not fear. Mm, that yeah. that's what I would dream Oof. for for little children who are who are being adopted right now. Yes. Mm. Powerful. Dr. Sam, I'd love to hear from you as well. So I don't disagree with what Sandra has stated, but I think that what we find across the adoption continuum is that there are so many different experiences. So for me personally, I'm okay with finding out later mm-hmm. in life. Mm-hmm. Is it difficult to do so? 100%. So if I think about what I what an ideal situation would be, I think that the onus definitely should still be back on the parents. I think that there should definitely be something along the way year by year. So for every year that you aren't saying something, right? Like you need to be intentionally either gathering information for this child. You need mm. to be something, mm. That when you do come to the table to tell the child this information, that you have more than just Mm. simply, so yeah, by the way, you know, you're adopted. And one of the reasons why I stay kind of steadfast Mm. in personally at with that is that in our conversations with other adoptees, it hurts me when they express how as children knowing because their parents did the whole, I'm going to read to you the books and I'm going to, you know, use the dolls and, and that whole thing. Right. So they know early on, you know, four or five years old. Right. But then that's just information, right. Like that a kid has, they don't necessarily fully connect to it. Mm-hmm. And it isn't until they begin to go into schools and have relationships with peers and that whole thing where that concept of what it really means to be adopted kind of like smacks them in the face, right? right? right. And then they're in the magazines, you know, looking for um, people that look like them. They're now looking at their family members like, mm, you don't really belong to me. And so I think like you, you ultimately you end up spending your entire childhood like I don't fit. And (laughs) I guess for me, I can only speak for me. It's like, I, although I knew something was off, I ultimately had a good childhood, you know? And so I'm okay with not having had that initial struggle. I rather have had it on like this back end with a parent who was, willing to tell me, I won't always say supportive, right? Because that's something different. Mm -hmm. So, because I think parents feel like because they told you now, like, you know, they get a medal because they told you. So to me in that perfect world, it's not only do you divulge this information, but then you commit to supporting your child Mm -hmm. all the way through the search and reunion until the day you die. So if you're someone who's like, I'm going to adopt a child, just like with any other child, know that you're a parent for life. And when you're a parent to an adoptive child, you have a whole other set of issues that you're going to have to potentially deal with. A whole other set of family that may need to come on the scene in order for your child to feel mm-hmm. okay. Mm-hmm. You know, So there's so many different nuances mm-hmm. to it where I don't know that it's a, a perfect you know, solution to it. I think it's just... If you're going to adopt a child, 
you need to really be aligned with making sure you're working in the best interest of that child, not just mm-hmm. yourself. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, Dr. Sam, you raised such a great point. And I, I really feel like I would be remiss if I didn't ask um, this final question. And then I'll ask y'all for resources and y'all can tell them our <laughs> sisters where they can find you and follow you. But, um, you know, our sisters at the table uh, are, you know, we have uh, some boomers, I would say, at the table. We have Gen X. We mm-hmm. got Xennials. Hello. <laughs> we got millennials. We got Z's, some Z's mm. at the table. If we if we cool enough for the Z, I don't know. I don't know. The jury's still out <laughs> on that. But um, you know, it, you all talk about the importance of when you uh, you talk about black adoption within um the conversation of the black family, which I think is wise and good and important. And um given the uh, how can I say the attack, I would say the attack on the black family. Um, since time in this country and the um, marriage rates, or should I say even the high rate of singleness among um, Black women um, who are like, you know what, I'm childbearing age and I'm getting close to passing childbearing age and I want a child. And I know that it is 2021 and there are many entry points into motherhood now. And so um, I would love for y'all to speak to sisters at the table who are thinking of either who have only really, really considered maybe IVF or considered, you know, having a child on their own um, with their boo thing, you know, <laughs> or, um, but maybe they hadn't thought about adoption or maybe they are thinking about adoption, but maybe they haven't um, thought about all of the nuances like uh, uh, that you um, uh, alluded to, Dr. Sam. Can you talk to um, our sisters at the table and just even what you all conceive of what adoption might look like? Um, for single black women who really desire um, uh, children, they want to be married, but they're like, if if that doesn't happen for me, I still don't want that to foreclose um, um, having children. Can you speak to to that and just from your own perspectives uh, on on that? Um, I'll jump in. So it's funny. In 2016, I actually went to an informational uh, to learn about becoming an adoptive parent. So this was 2016 before I even knew that I was adopted. Right. So full circle moment, definitely with that one. Um, For me, I feel like I never want any woman, particularly a black woman, to feel like she has to wait until she finds the perfect relationship or until (laughs) she gets married. Um, Because I... I have a lot of friends who have just such a a strong desire to mm. mother. You know, like mm. it's it's in them, it's on them. You know, the jury is still out for me. I don't know if I have that desire, but the <laughs> the the friends that I have, you know, the desire is so strong. But I have one friend in particular who feels like if she goes down the path of adoption, essentially for her, that means that she failed. She failed Mm. at being Mm. able to have a relationship. Mm. And hearing that just really kind of broke my heart because, Mm. you know, she's a phenomenal woman, successful, all these amazing things. There's nothing about her that says failure. But because the way that 
you know, society has been set up, the way that we've been taught and trained, you know, if you don't have a relationship, you've you failed, especially if you're a black woman, you've just completely failed. If you're a black woman over 40, forget about it. And Mm -hmm. so I just want to leave space for women to consider other opportunities. So if it is adoption, if it is freezing your eggs while you're younger, if it is trying IVF and, and none of those options are easy. You know, we've talked to women who've gone through that infertility journey and year after year after year and the ups and downs and the heartbreak. So none of it is easy. Um, but if you, if you have that desire to parent, you know, I, I really want women to go forth and just understand that if you're choosing adoption, especially if you're choosing it as a single woman, having a village is is critical. Like you need support the same way you would if you were, you know, having a biological child mm-hmm. and something sure. happens in the relationship and now you're responsible for raising that child solo. It's just not something that you can easily do if you're just kind of on this island with you and and your child. And that particular child, if you are adopting, may have some challenges. You know, like Dr. Sam Mm -hmm. mentioned, Mm -hmm. as they're going through their adoptee journey, they need support, some some additional support um, that that comes with that. But at the end of the day, for me, I just, you know, I want to have space for for our sisters to to create families. and what feels best for them and what feels right for them. We have options. Mm-hmm. Well, and I was also, as you were speaking, Andrea, I was thinking space for the sisters to create family, but also um, space for beautiful children to be received. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And as I'm looking at both of you, I am seeing testimonies mm-hmm. of beautiful children yeah, that needed to be received. Yeah. Um, thank you. And and the thank blessing you. that I, I am convinced that you were uh to your adopted family. Mm-hmm. Our parents, they they you know you you might adopt and get you a Dr. Sam. You might get you a Sandria. <laughs> you know, like it, you you might just come up. Listen, listen, hey, and with hey. So I just I when I think about the number of particularly of, of, of children of color, African American children, yeah. um in the foster care system or yeah, it just it grieves my heart. Mm-hmm. Um and I I am grateful, even as you all have shared these stories that were just complicated and secrets and layers. I just mm-hmm. I I want every child to be yeah. in a home where they are welcomed and loved. And thank y'all. Mm-hmm. For sharing yeah. this with us today, I'm telling you the you, Kimmy, you know they're gonna be twisting their hair, <laughs> crying, yeah. they taking their walks and their feelings. Oh, they're gonna, they're gonna, gonna love this episode. episode. They're gonna love this episode. <laughs> they okay, they're gonna be in their feelings. It's, gonna, it's gonna be tears and they cocoa and they shea butter. Yes, you know, oh, feel all the feelings. Lord, <laughs> we want them to feel everything. For them, some confirmation yes. for them. And for Ed, I mean, my goodness, thank y'all so much. Can you, you, you all tell us about some resources, any resources that you know of, and then how they can follow you? And this is your time. <laughs> all right. Well, we definitely want you to follow us on Facebook, mm-hmm. on Instagram, 
Um, at Black to the beginning, we also have a Twitter page as well. In terms of resources, check out our bookshop. So we have a lot of reading resources and various like books that you can read that, you know, not just talk about like adoption in particular, but all the things that we talked about this evening. So like how to deal with, you know, um, trauma and identity and really touching base on things that we experience as human beings, you know, period. Um, So check us out there. We're also part of the Black Adoption Collective, which you can find that on Instagram as well. And that's super important because, again, depending on who's listening this evening, you will find um, resources for other like Black and adopted people, but those Black folks who are adopted by white people. But for us at Black to Begin, and we like to say you are Black first. So if you want to really hone in on getting in in connection with your Blackness, we have, you know, transracially um, Mm -hmm. adopted people that are a part of that. If you are interested in being um, an adoptive parent, we have, you know, two resources there. So yes, we adopt as well as um, the Fab Mom. So for all black women that might be interested in becoming a mm-hmm. adoptive, you know, mother, like two valuable resources there. If you feel like black adoption might be expensive because that's one thing that we didn't talk about either. Right. Yeah. Um, we have what, uh, or what, I'm sorry, W A T. Um, and that particular, you know, resource can potentially help you in funding your, you know, black adoption as okay. well. So Check us out on all of those platforms. Um, Sandy, am I missing anything? I think you covered it. You mm-hmm. you can find the podcast on, on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, the Anchor platform. Um, we have YouTube videos. And uh, in 2022, we want to bring you more live events. So hopefully there will be a Black to the Beginning tour so we can sit down and have these conversations with women, women and men, um, in -hmm. person, you know, really just trying to, to make this more personal. Yes. Yes. Well, thank you so much, Dr. Sam and Sandria for sitting at the table with us. We are so honored to have had y'all here. We've learned a lot. Um, and of course we want to thank our sisters for taking a seat at the table with us this week. Let's keep the conversation going. (laughs) Tweet us your thoughts about this episode. Black, well, we're going to learn today, Black Adoption (laughs) Um, with Sandria Washington and Dr. Samantha Coleman. Use the hashtag Truth Table. And Black women, did y'all know we have a Black women's discipleship group on Facebook? Well, now you do. Make sure you follow Truth Table on Facebook and join our Facebook discipleship group today. Invite your homegirls. Follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Truth Table or email us your thoughts at info at truthstable.com. Don't forget to rate and review the show on iTunes and subscribe on your favorite podcast player. Truth Table has a Patreon account so y'all can send your love offerings to patreon.com slash truthstable or y'all can bless us at our paypal.me slash truthstable. Truthstable is made possible in part by Pottery Studios. Visit pottery.com for the highest in quality online audio entertainment. Our producer for the show is Joshua Heath. Our executive producer is Bo York and our video editor is Daryl Bradford. We have been your hosts, Akemini, Michelle, and Christina. We'll see you soon on the next Truth Table. Bye, y'all.